opinions expressed on ACB Media are those of the respective program contributors and do not necessarily reflect the views held by the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff. This is Sunday Edition with Anthony Corona. Every week here on ACB Media One, that's American Council of the Blind, Media One, and soon after on all your major podcast catchers. Each week, we'll dive into the news, human interest, and discussions about the issues surrounding all of us in and out of the American Council of the Blind community. Hello, and no, this is not Anthony Corona speaking, if that isn't painfully obvious. Uh, Mark Reichert here, such a pleasure to be with ACB friends and uh, and others that I will uh, introduce and wave at in a second. Uh, but yours truly had the privilege of uh, winning the opportunity to host uh, one of these Sunday edition programs uh, like so many of you, I'm a big fan uh, of this program and of Anthony's wonderful um, journalistic uh, gifts. And so for me, uh, it's a real treat um, to be part of this group. And so uh, participating in that ACB auction, uh, yours truly got the, the winning ticket. And uh, so that means you are um, subject to, to me for a little while. Though I have to say, um, I've got some amazing help. Uh, not only in terms of the folks that I'll shout out in a second, uh, but also because uh, we are going to feature at the top of this hour uh, just an incredible uh, sermon, message, uh, compelling call by Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., uh, a sermon entitled, But If Not, and we'll talk a little bit more about that in a second. But obviously, here we are on a Sunday morning on MLK Weekend. And what a fantastic opportunity to come together as ACB folk and uh, think about the legacy of Martin Luther King uh, and frankly, how our organization, our community uh, should be uh, furthering that legacy and committing ourselves once again to the principles that he and other great leaders in civil rights and other areas um, have mapped out for us. So uh, with that, let me do some shout outs. Um, Anthony is here. Hi, Anthony. Hi. He may be on mute. Um, uh, and uh, we are uh, in hey, great hey. hands. There he is. <laughs> How you doing? How you doing? How you doing? I'm doing really good. And if I can just remind folks, we had a fascinating conversation on yeah. Bayard Rustin on Monday, which will be a pride connection um, for the first week of February, Black History Month. So. Look out for that conversation if you didn't have a chance to participate. Cheryl Cummings was there along with Debbie Grubb and some great commentary on um, Bayard's life. And he uh, was the man who basically organized the march behind the scenes, um, you know, where Dr. King gave the iconic I Have a Dream speech. But I'm going to shut up now and let you uh, host the show. But uh, yes, please check that out. I'll remind folks on Sunday edition when it's coming up. 
Fantastic. So in addition to uh, Anthony holding one of the corners of this uh, hosting net, though they've told me that I'm totally on, on my own. They, they're, not, they're not catching me if I fall, but we'll see. Um, uh, uh, let's give a shout out to our friend Bryn. And I think Bryn, not only uh, say hello, but also um, I think you've got at least one announcement I'm aware of that we need to make sure folks are aware of. I do. And I, I wish I had the um, I wish I had some sort of sound effect to indicate your utter, uh, you know, unloneness, uh, you know, maybe like <laughs> lonely. I'm so lonely. I don't know. Maybe maybe like some howling you wind. Can play the, the, you could play the losing horns sound. Oh, right? well, I do have. I, boom, 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 boom. <laughs> there you go. I have that. There you go. Anyway, uh, utterly alone. Um, anyway, so uh, yes, uh, my name is Bryn Lee, and uh, I'm usually here with Anthony, uh, kind of co-hosting and uh, making sure that we are live on ACB Media One. And so I'm here to kind of just help out and play stuff for you as the as things come up. I do have an announcement. Um, so those of you who live in Minnesota or nearby, um, if you're just aching to come to a convention. We're going to be hosting our state convention here in Minnesota on January 27th through the 29th at the County Inn and Suites in Woodbury, Minnesota. Um, you know, they, they have Portillo's in Woodbury, so that's that's at least one reason to come. Uh, and in-person registration uh, is $65. That includes all meals. Room rates at the, at the Country Inn and Suites are $91 per night plus tax. Um, if you want to uh, register for the convention, you can come to acbminnesota.org. That is acbminnesota.org, and uh, click the register button. You can make register. You can make reservations at the hotel by calling six five one seven three nine seven three zero zero. Again, that number for the hotel is six five one seven three nine. 7300 and use the group code American Council of the Blind of Minnesota. And if you cannot join us in person, you can join us via Zoom for $20. What a steal. So come to acbmedia.org. Uh, sorry, acbminnesota.org. Don't go to acbmedia.org for registering for a convention. That would be silly. Go to acbminnesota.org and click the register for the 2023 ACB Minnesota State Convention button and join us on the 27th through the 29th. Of January, right? Of January. Yes. Yep. Wow. Don't this, come this in being... February because it's too cold and we won't be there. Well, that was going to be my question. I was wondering if there was going to be, you know, swimming or outdoor picnicking happening at this conference at all. Oh, absolutely. Yes. Uh, we'll be we'll be playing um, water polo outside. Absolutely. <laughs> okay. Well, thanks so much for doing uh, that announcement. That's great. And then uh, we are also joined by Sheila and Nikki, who are helping us. Uh, and you'll get to hear. Well, say hello, guys, if you'd like. Hi, uh, Mark. Be, there she is. <laughs> and Nikki. Maybe Nikki's on. Hello, uh, I'm here. Yep. Yay. Yep. So Sheila and Nikki will be helping us with just uh, managing any number of things, but especially your comments and questions and a little bit, which we definitely are looking forward to uh, hearing from. But now, uh, last and for sure, not least at the moment, um, I want to give a shout out to Cheryl Cummings. And uh, Cheryl, go ahead. I think everyone in the world knows who you are, but um, remind us who you are. And thank you so much. Uh, for partnering with me in this little adventure today. I sure appreciate it. 
Oh, wow. Uh, good morning, and thank you for inviting me to be part of this really uh, special discussion that we're going to have. Um, I, I had a chance to listen to the sermon, and it is fantastic. We're, we're going to have, I think, a really rich discussion. So uh, I'm Cheryl Cummings, and I'm the chair of the Multicultural Affairs Committee, and just really excited to be here to talk about these. So thanks, Wonderful. Mark. Oh, my pleasure. My pleasure. So with that, let me just cue this up, uh, literally and figuratively. Again, the name of this sermon is, but if not, but if not, and you'll, you'll know all too well uh, what that seemingly maybe uh, odd or uh, mis uh, mysterious sermon title will mean by the time we're done. You'll know that all too well. And with uh, it is my hope that, like me, you'll be very, very touched by it. I have to say, I've listened to this um, message quite a bit uh, for, well, for any number of years, but of course, in lately listening to this message. And um, it, it's fun to be reminded um, of all that the, that MLK stood for, and in my opinion, still stands for. Um, but on very fundamental levels, uh, Martin Luther King Jr. was a pastor, he was a preacher. Um, and that comes through so compellingly in this message. I smile when I hear it because uh, the story that he will be relating in a second to us has to do, but the story of, of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, which have to be the three most famous blind uh, uh, Bible names uh, around. And they're, they're fun names when I was a little kid. You know, they were funny, funny names. I also thought maybe they were the names of cats. Actually, I think Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego would make great names for cats. Um, but you'll hear that indeed the story is a profound one. And um, I think uh, like me, when we're done, uh, you'll have a deeper appreciation for how a story that might seem like a child's story um, nevertheless has some deeply profound and universal themes that we all would do well to listen to. So with that, um, powers that be here on Sunday edition, if you would throw the switch and let's let, listen to Dr. Martin Luther King's sermon, but if not, which I believe was delivered on November 5th, 1967 at Ebenezer Baptist Church. There was a day when many of the Israelites found themselves in bondage in Babylon. There was a king of Babylon by the name of Nebuchadnezzar. You read about him a good deal in the book of Daniel, and it stands as an epic that will remain stencil on the mental sheets of unfolding generations. And Nebuchadnezzar issued an order he made a golden image, and his order was that everybody under the reign of his kingship had to bow before that golden image and worship it. One day Nebuchadnezzar called in the judges and the governors and the sheriffs and they had a, a dedicatory service for this golden image. And, and then he said, 
to them. I'm instructing you to see that everybody bows before this. But there were three young men around there. One's name was Shadrach. The other one's name was Meshach. And the other name was Abednego. And they answered, and I read it from the scripture, and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we are not careful to answer thee in this manner. If it be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of thine hand, O king. But if not, be it known unto thee, O king, that we will not serve thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. Now I want you to notice first here that these young men practiced civil Disobedience. Civil disobedience is the refusal to abide by an order of the government or of the state or even of the court that your conscience tells you is unjust. Civil disobedience is based on a commitment to conscience. In other words, one who practices civil disobedience is obedient to what he considers a higher law. And then there comes a time when a moral man can obey a law which his conscience tells him is unjust. And I tell you this morning, my friends, that history has moved on. Great moments have often come forth because there were those individuals in every age and every generation who were willing to say, I will be obedient to a higher law. These men were saying, I must be disobedient to a king in order to be obedient to the king. There are times when human laws are out of harmony with eternal and divine laws. And when that happens, you have an obligation to break it. And I'm happy that in breaking it, I have some good company. I have Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I have Jesus and Socrates. And I have all of the early Christians. 
who refuse to bow. No, this morning, if we forget everything I said, I hope you won't forget this. It came to the point after saying our God is able to deliver us from the burning fire furnace. But if he doesn't deliver us, we still are not going to bow. But if not, do you get that? And these men were saying that our faith is so deep and that we found something so dear and so precious that nothing can turn us away from it. Our God is able to deliver us, but if not, this simply means, my friends, that the ultimate test of one's faith is his ability to say, but if not. You see, there is what you may call an if faith. And there is a though faith and the permanent faith, the lasting, the powerful faith is a though faith. Now the if faith says if all goes well, if life is hopeful, uh, prosperous and happy, if I don't have to go to jail, if I don't have to face the agonies and burdens of life, if I'm not ever called bad names because of taking a stand that I feel that I must take, if none of these things happen, then I'll have faith in God, then I'll, I'll be all right. That's the if faith. There is a though faith, though. And the though faith uh, says, though things go wrong, Though evil is temporarily triumphant. Yes, sir. Though sickness comes and, and the cross looms. Yes. Nevertheless, I'm going to believe anyway and I'm going to have faith anyway. Though the waters thereof roar and be troubled. Though the mountains shake with the swelling thereof. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. This is the essence of life and religion. The question is whether you have an if faith or whether you have a though faith. And I want to say to you this morning, my friends, that somewhere along the way, you should discover so precious to you. It is so eternally worthful that you will never give it up. You ought to discover some principle. Yes, sir. You ought to have some great faith that grips you so much that you will never give it up. Never. Somehow you go on and say, 
I know that the God that I worship is able to deliver me. But if not, I'm going on anyhow. I'm going to stand up for it anyway. What does this mean? It means in the final analysis, you do right not to avoid hell. If you're doing right, merely to keep from going to something that traditional theology has called hell, then you are doing right. If you do right, merely to go to a condition that theologians have called heaven, you are doing right. If you are doing right to avoid pain and to achieve happiness and pleasure, then you are doing right. Ultimately, you must do right because it's right to do right. You've got to say, but if not. You must love ultimately because it's lovely to love. You must be just because it's right to be just. You must be honest because it's right to be honest. This is what this text is saying more than anything else. And finally, you must do it because it has gripped you so much that you are willing to die for it if necessary. And I say to you this morning that if you have never found something so dear and so precious to you that you will die for it, then you aren't. You may be 38 years old as I happen to be. And one day, some great opportunity stands before you and calls upon you to stand up for some great principle, some great issue, some great cause. And you refuse to do it because You are afraid. You refuse to do it because you want to live longer. You are afraid that you will lose your job. Or you are afraid that you will be criticized or that you will lose your popularity. Are you afraid that somebody will stab you or shoot at you or bomb your house? And so you refuse to take the stand. Well, you may go on and live until you are 90. But you are just as dead at 38 as you would be at 90. And the cessation of breathing in your life is but the belated announcement of an earlier death of the spirit. You died when you refused to stand up for right. You died when you refused to stand up for truth. You died when you refused to stand up for justice. These boys stand before us today. And I thank God for them. For they had found something. The fiery furnace couldn't stop them from believing. They said, throw us into the fiery. The Bible talks about a miracle. Because they had faith enough to say, but if not, God was with them as an eternal companion. And 
This is what I want to say finally. That there is a reward if you do right for righteousness sake. It says that somehow that burning fiery furnace was transformed into an acronym. Somebody looked in there and said we put three in here but now we see four. Don't ever think you're by yourself. Go on to jail if necessary, but you never go alone. Take a stand for that which is right. The world may misunderstand you and criticize you, but you never go alone. For somewhere I read that one with God is a majority. And God has a way of transforming a minority into a majority. Walk with him this morning and believe in him and do what is right. And he'll be with you even until the consummation of the ages. Yes, I've seen the lightning flash. I've heard the thunder roll. I've felt sin breakers dashing trying to conquer my soul but I heard the voice of Jesus saying still to fight on he promised never to leave me never to leave me alone no never alone no never alone he promised never to leave me never to leave me alone where are you going this morning my friends tell the world that you're going with truth. You're going with justice. You're going with goodness. And you will have an eternal companionship. And the world will look at you. And they will understand you. For your fiery furnace will be around you. But you go on anyhow. But if not, I will not bow. And God grant that we will never bow before the gods of evil. Well, uh, I've got goosebumps and tears. I imagine maybe one or two other people might. Um, I grew up in uh, in the Lutheran Church and a pretty conservative iteration of it. And at the end of sermons, you never you never heard a single soul out there. Uh, shouting, or frankly, even whispering, <laughs> amen. Um, but uh, this backslid Lutheran boy says amen. Um, we are going to turn to your questions and comments and thoughts and reflections. Uh, but Cheryl, maybe um, if you don't mind my winking at you and queuing you up, um, I'd sure love to hear your your thoughts after that. Uh, just powerful message and, and challenge, uh, really, uh, because it truly is uh, an act of, of deep faith and conviction uh, in order to stand up for things that are right, that we believe in our hearts, with all of our hearts that are right, uh, sometimes in the face of pretty significant opposition, or even hearing our own doubts or conscience um, ripping the rug out from underneath us as we try to take those steps. But I, I would love to hear your, just your overall thoughts and re- reflections. Yeah. So um, very, as you said, very questions. And sure it made me think 
it's it's so funny because you know so many times you think like things are totally new and then you hear something like this you're like oh past generations have thought about it way past and and i'm thinking about this direction to sort of understand what it is that you will fight for and you will stand for you know i mean today we talk about it as sort of like what's what is your passion i mean that's one of the words that's used and and it's it's so funny because sometimes it's dismissed as a sort of a new wavy idea Mm -hmm. um but obviously it's it's a challenge that that people have faced over the ages i mean in in his sermon you know dr king mentions socrates yes i mean he mentions uh the 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 three um young men in this bible story um so i think it's 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 i mean it's truly thought provoking um and and then you know as i'm listening i'm thinking like huh what is it that i'm passionate about right mm. um and and i i can i mean, i I'm, i feel like i have a answer um you know but okay. i'm still here and i'm I'm still sort of uh, moving ahead in life, so it may change. But the thing that I'm passionate about is sort of the rights of people. I'm calling it the intersection between race and blindness or race Mm. and disability. Mm -hmm. Um, And I've been fortunate in the sense that um, I, I, you know, I've had an opportunity to figure out how I wanted to like manifest that in my own life. So Hmm. 20, like 15 years ago or so, um, Mm -hmm. I started a nonprofit Hmm. and um, it was a nonprofit aimed at working with kids who were blind in the Boston area. And it was centered in um, Roxbury which is uh, versus or minority backgrounds. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I suppose the thing that I, and the thing that I want to took away from this is a lot of times since Dr. King was a leader, I think, you know, folks might think like it's got to be another quote unquote leader mm. who is taking that sort of stance. And I, I mean, obviously not, right? Because mm-hmm. the civil rights movement was not just comprised of leaders. It was comprised of everyday people who also took a stand and said, mm-hmm. you know, this is not, this is no, this is, it's never been acceptable and it's not the world I want to live in. That's um, such an important point. Yeah. That's such an important point that I was t- uh, torn between this sermon and uh, another message of Dr. King's called, I believe I have this right, the drum majors syndrome. And the whole point of this is, you know, uh, uh, talking about how there is such a human impulse to want to be the drum major, to be the one who's beating away at that drum and making everybody march to our tune. And of course, coming at that topic as someone of faith and certainly out of the Christian tradition, uh, Dr. King uses this, you know, the, the comments of Christ that if you're going to be 
a leader, the first shall be last, and whoever is greatest in the kingdom is a servant, right? So his point being, sure, some of us may be in a position of, of leadership, but truly, if you want to be, if you have that impulse uh, to want to uh, lead, the way to start is to serve. And, uh, you know, that's a paradox. I mean, you know, I would love to, for you to react to, to this idea, Cheryl, too. And that's <clears throat> at the beginning of that Bible story. The image that really sticks out for me is this notion of this enormous golden statue that this king with the fun name, uh, you know, uh, sets up mm-hmm. and requiring everybody to bow down in front of this enormous golden idol. And, you know, my professional background mostly is in the policy space. And I can honestly say that both inside the blindness community and for sure outside of it and for sure in American culture, uh, there are a lot of people who set up tacky, enormous golden idols for us to worship and bow down in front of. And wow, is it really tough uh, to sometimes resist those uh, calls to conform and um, especially when when people in or, or groups in authority uh, call for you to do that and I'd be interested in your thoughts on you know where where do you think the courage uh, clearly you have it uh, others do where, where do you think the courage to uh, stand up and say no to those calls to bow down in sort of idolatrous fashion to ideas or things that people just assume must be true because somebody said it's true. Yeah, no, I I think it's hard. I yeah. mean, I, you know, I, I mean, as the as for me personally, I mean, sometimes you can do it and sometimes you can't. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I, I mean, because I think you know we're all, I think everybody has the capacity to be courageous. Um, yeah. you know, but we all have to like make decisions about when is it an if or when is it a thou Mm -hmm. as as dr king said um so and it it is i mean i think today it's like super hard because recording in progress bombarded by messages all the time you know everywhere you go you cannot escape whenever something rises up as the new thing that we're all supposed to be acknowledging. I, I think exactly. the, the strength to say no comes from having a certainty within yourself about sort of what's right and what's wrong. Um, and I think that comes from, you know, your family, it can come from your church, um, yeah. It can come from sort of experiences, but I, I think again, and I mean, it's such a large sort of the world is so large and we're all so different that my no may not be your no. Right? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. and I don't, I mean, and, and isn't it like a natural thing? I want to judge you like, hey, you should be on my side. Of course. <laughs> you know? Of course. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but I, and and so I mean that's that also leads me to to ponder, like, are there some sort of fundamental rights that 
irrespective of our differences and our diversity that we really should all be able to say no to. Oh, I mean, wow, uh, what a profound thought, right? And of course, I think at the core of Dr. King's message is it is stepping away from our own, the, the idols we make for, for ourselves. And what are those, get it right, you know, just move away from those superficial things. And let's talk about the truly core values, purposes, uh, and, and, you know, again, he's coming at this from, uh, the Christian tradition. So using phrases like, uh, God and Christ to talk about that, but whatever that standard is, right. That's reflective of some sense that there is an ultimate truth and ultimate rightness out there. And it's really that, that we have to sort of settle on for ourselves. And then as a community, uh, to, uh, to know when it's appropriate to, hold out and say, but if not, you know, throw me in the furnace, man, because I'm not, I'm not doing it. Right. And I'm, I'm with you. I don't, I don't know. I don't have a roadmap for it. I don't <laughs> believe me, but well, Cheryl, one last observation to toss your way, uh, which I sure appreciate your thoughts. And then we'll go to some comments from the audience and, and, uh, and, and, and the like, but I think it fits in perfectly with what you just brought up. And that is, you know, of course, I, at the top of this presentation, I was, joking about you know, these fun names, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And I'm, when in sort of peeking around at this story uh, in preparation for today, I was reminded that, you know, these are, the, these are the names, these three names, these are not the real names of the three Hebrew young men who are the, you know, the focus of this story. These are the names given to them by the authorities. Uh, in Babylon. And it, to me, it brings up the whole notion of, you know, when, you, when you're caught up in a system, whatever that system is, uh, people are going to want to put a new name on you. They're going to want to put a new label on you. Mm -hmm. and, and it seems like we, you know, are so preoccupied with that in uh, American culture, but, you know, it's a human thing, I think. But that notion of, you know, a system is going to take your very identity if you let it. They're going to, they're going to, slap a label on you, give you a new name that has not, that's not really who you are. And I'd, I'd be interested in your, your thoughts about that. Titles are important. Um, identity is important, but maybe reflect a little bit on that notion of identity and uh, embracing names and labels and then uh, transcending them. This is a tough, this is a tough thing to reflect on. Didn't um, promise you easy questions. Oh, I know. <laughs> um, but, but no, I mean, I mean, I, you know, again, words, like people use words to be really dismissive of each mm -hmm. other. You know, I, I personally, um, I have problems when people are like, oh, that's so politically correct. Um, because they say, well, what exactly are you objecting to? Are you objecting to the fact that somebody's telling you that your joke is offensive to them? Is that is that you know is that what you're objecting to? Or are you objecting to somebody telling you that you know I really don't want you to call me that name? That this yeah. is the appropriate way to to speak to me. So um, I think it's you know you're right. I mean. I suppose I want to go back to something I said when I was talking about uh, Bayard Rustin, mm. which is that we all act 
as if institutions are some sort of vague thing, some sort of amorphous mm. entity that we don't know where it came from. But the truth is, the we, the individual, I, the individual, I've made some decisions about the way I want things to happen. And I've yeah. convinced you to join me in making some decisions. And then over time, we become the quote unquote institution, <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. I mean, this is just, and so the thought is that we've got and to And then we stop become our own idol. We become our own right. idol. Right. So the thought is like, we've got to stop pretending that institutions are things that are outside of us, right? Because I think the way you make change is that the I starts with acknowledging the change needs to happen and then do something. Right. So, so like if you're looking at your quote unquote institution, you're like, oh, this isn't working and that isn't working. Um, so, you know, let's, let's start figuring out like, how do we, how do we make it work? How do we make it effective? Mm -hmm. um, and, and I think going back to the sermon, um, it really says for me, it says that individuals can take an act. We can make a stand. You don't need to wait for you know, quote unquote, leaders to do something. Mm -hmm. so. Wonderful. Well, with that, uh, let's invite our friends to join by uh, through the Zoom connection or through uh, Clubhouse. I think we have both those opportunities and uh, Sheila and Nikki will help facilitate that. Wondering, uh, let's maybe Sheila pick on you first. I'm wondering if we have any hands raised. You do. Um, okay, you do. fire away. Let's do it. So, Anthony. Wow. So it's it's interesting to to be a guest today. <laughs> um, I have a few thoughts, and you know, I want to start out by saying I'm always impressed at how many messages Dr. King weaves into the central message. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, without it feeling like we went off on, you know, like we went around a whole map. You know what I mean? It feels <laughs> we're on the straight line the entire time. You know, we're on that one road. But how many offshoots did we really hear and, and think about, you know, within that central message? Um, two of the points I, I really kind of want to make. Um, the first kind of personal, you know, he, he said the, the number 38. Um, two or three yeah. times. Yeah. And I, I immediately thought to myself, where was I, you know, a few years ago? I don't want to say how many exactly, but, <laughs> um, you know, when I was 38 and I still had sight and I was at the top of my career. And yeah, you know, I worked for autism, you know, in awareness and, and fundraising. Um, I, you know, I had years in the fields where I actually worked with families, but um, I was rather selfish. Um, you know, I, I lived high, I lived hard, I partied hard, um, I worked hard. And, and as I'm saying this, and, and thinking this as, as, as he's speaking, it's I, 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 um, you know, and whether I chose to go into the furnace or not, I, I look at going blind as my having gone through the furnace. Um, you know, there came a point where I, I, I just, you know, I, I talked to my dad instead of God, and that's my own personal journey. Yeah. Yeah. I found a much better relationship with my higher power. But back then, you know, I, I looked up and said, dad, I can't do this. 
you know, either, you know, help them take me out or, yeah. or, or show me the way because I, I, and so much I, I don't have an answer and I always have the answers. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing I wanted to remark on is, you know, we were talking, you know, you and Cheryl were talking about, um, you know, idols and, and yeah. taking that level. Um, it, it reminds me, there's something that we all subscribe to, whether we, you know, sign a piece of paper or not, we all subscribe to the social contract. And I think part of, of the messaging that, that I heard today was, was the underlying of that social contract, because we make concessions of our eye for the greater we, you know, and like like I just said, we don't necessarily sign a piece of paper that says these are the things we agree to be and do and feel for the greater good. But, you know, we're taught that through religion. We're taught that sometimes in school or through parenting and group, you know, group village parenting, as I like mm. to call it. Um, and so, you know, when I think we're about to head into March, which is leadership and legislative. And, and I hear and read so many commentaries about, you know, in easy civil disobedience is when you get into that Uber with your guide dog anyway, and you inform them of what is right and what is not right. And you get that, you get that ride home. That that's a very easy piece of civil disobedience. So as we move into legislative, you know, time period for, for our organization, how many of us don't do anything and we wait for the organization to do it? We have imperatives. We have, you know, employment uh, opportunities and, and disparages, all the things. If we don't add to the conversation somehow, then we're really adding to the opposite side of the conversation because it doesn't have to be a fiery sermon in a Baptist church. It doesn't have to be a fiery, you know, I have a dream, you know, in front of hundreds of thousands of, of marchers. It can be as simple as making a phone call to our representative or sending an email or having a conversation like we're having today. So those are my thoughts. And, and thank you so much for, for bringing this specific sermon, because I think it was really needed and inspiring. Thanks. Thanks, Anthony. Really appreciate your your comments. Uh, Cheryl, any reaction to, to Anthony, maybe before, um, maybe Nikki, we, after Cheryl, we can see if you have any folks in Clubhouse, but go ahead, Cheryl, any thoughts? Yeah, I, I, not, not so much as a, as a reaction, but just a, a yeah. query, because I think Anthony said something that's really important. He said that we all sign up to this social contract. And I think part of the challenge that the United States has always had over the, you know, since its inception is what exactly is that social contract? And do we really yeah. agree? Because I think if, if, if we really agreed, right, I mean, I suppose, you know, my concept of inclusion um, and full participation would mean that as an African-American person, I'm not concerned. I can I can really truly pursue whatever I want to pursue. I can live where I want to live, and and I don't have to be scared that uh, somebody's going to accuse me of something because of the way I look. And and similarly, as a blind person, I, I again I can pursue whatever I want to do. I can live where I want to live. And I don't have to be scared that somebody's going to step in my way and say, no, 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 you're blind. You can't do this. Mm-hmm. Um, 
So I, I mean, I, you know, I, I think it's something that we, as, as just sort of people, we really should talk about it because I don't know that the whole, that we all agree on the social contract, what it is and um, how, how we're supposed to live it out. Well, and it's also a little, uh, you know, when the parties to that social contract are not equal, uh, you know, it's a little hard, a little hard to have equal negotiating power when that contract begins on the premise that if one of those parties is counted at all, they're counted as three fifths of a person. So, uh, you know, Anthony, any reactions before we move along? I, I think that the, the social contract is meant to be a living document, so to speak. Um, you know, somebody very, very wise said that, you know, youth is wasted on the young um, because of the energy. By the time we get to 38 or, or mid-40s or 50s or 70s, we've learned so much. And hopefully our participation in the social contract has expanded to, or if you think about it, instead of expanded, it shrinks down to what are the primary basics? Mm. Be good to one another, be kind to one another, uh, extend understanding, even if not agreement, but extend understanding to one another so that you know your experience that I cannot possibly, I can empathize as best as I can, but I cannot possibly understand what either one of your experiences is, but I can extend you know, my, my understanding and want to empathize with it um, more than needing you to understand or experience my experience. So with that, I will shut up because I'm sure there are plenty of other brilliant <laughs> folks who want to say stuff, but thank you for, you know, letting me speak. My pleasure, our pleasure, etc. cetera. Um, Mickey, anybody um, calling for the proverbial mic in Clubhouse? Not at this time. All righty then. Well, we'll keep encouraging our friends to pipe on up because I know that um, there are not a whole lot of very shy people in the clubhouse world. So, um, uh, Sheila, back to you. Yes, sir. Lynn Corral. All right. First of all, that was a a fantastic um, sermon. I loved it. And one of the things that I, I took out of it was what we call the golden calf, which is what we call the idol and all yeah. that kind of stuff yeah. Yeah. Um, in the Jewish religion. And yeah. it's the same thing. We don't bow down to those kind of, uh, well, you know, animated stupidity, you know, yeah. or or these kings like Nebuchadnezzar or and Antiochus or any of these people yes. who, uh, and I think what I, what I want to say to Cheryl is you're all, you're all over the place and you're going to be with me tomorrow or with my group <laughs> tomorrow. And I really appreciate that. I, I just think what Cheryl is doing, she proves the justice and social contract that she talks about and, and what Anthony talked about. Because when we think about um, idolatry, uh, which uh, uh, Jews have talked against too, you know, in terms of mm-hmm. having any kind of idol, you know, any yeah. representation, uh, outward yeah. representation. Mm-hmm. And I think that when we're talking about tomorrow, walking side by side in hope and struggle um, tomorrow, Cheryl and Pam will be with us and I'm so excited because if we don't start thinking that we can count on each other and we can talk to each other and learn from each other and love each other because really we're not so disconnected after all like we think we are and I have learned so much from reading the books that Cheryl um, has recommended uh, that she uh, read um, on 
blacks and Jews and uh, alliances mm. and arguments and breaking alliances. Uh, both these books have been um, still in the middle of the second one, but uh, the uh, uh, alliances and arguments. What what great books and and they really show that things are complex. You know, I remember hearing many years ago that things are really simple. No. They're very complex. And if we understand that things are complicated and complex, but that we can listen to each other and really show people the way, especially now that I'm in my 70s, you know, I, 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 I can still teach people things and I can learn from them. And the most important thing is to listen to other people so you can learn from them. Not that you speak all the time, but you learn from them. And I think that when we think about how we are as um, not just leaders, because leaders are flawed. Let's just face it, they're flawed, you know, where if you have a spiritual mindset, this, the spiritual person who you look up to is not flawed. And you don't have to wait for, oh, I'm going to wait for this to happen. I'm going to wait for that. No, you do it because it's the right thing to do. Like Dr. Martin Luther King said, it's the right thing mm -hmm. to do. And if you know what the right thing to do is, you just do it. So I hope people will join us tomorrow. And thank you, Cheryl, for being so open to all the groups that you've been in the last week. And I've been at all, all these um, conversations, both in the gay community, in this call, and tomorrow, too. So thank you so much. Well, and Lynn, maybe before you go, I have a question for you. I and mean, then you've talked about this in some of your other presentations, too, with the, the Jewish commitment to tikkun, right? The healing and transforming of the exactly, world. Exactly. I mean, that, that takes... Uh, Tremendous. I mean, just reflect. I'm, I'm softball to you. Reflect on that and what courage it might take to, you know, sometimes I think people get, you hear things like that. Oh, heal and transform. Be a do-gooder, right? Uh, you're handing out cookies. Uh, you know, you're doing uh, yeah. sweet things and not thinking about the challenges uh, that people face in trying to to reach that aspiration. So anyway, talk. <laughs> Yeah, well, the Tikuno, the, the, the Tikuno lum, which is yeah. basically healing the world, is is yeah. really something that um, the magazine was was built around that Tikuno, I believe, yeah. is the yeah. name of the magazine. Mm -hmm. And I think that when we think about that, social justice is such a part of, especially the Reform Judaism and Reconstructionist yeah. also um, Judaism. And you know, I think that when we use uh, what we think is our right to do things to other people, like to the Palestinians, for instance, which I'm really upset about, um, yeah. as a Jewish person and what the Israelis yeah. are doing right now. Yeah. Um, it bothers me because that takes leadership to that idolatry uh, work. Not, mm. not, not that you should not that you shouldn't be working with other people. You should be working with other groups because they've been oppressed like you've been oppressed. Why would oppressor oppress other people, right? right. So it's ridiculous. And I think that um, this is somewhat of what we're going to talk about tomorrow because in a lot of the things that I'm reading, um, it's all about you know how how can we deal with both anti-Semitism and racism? There is more anti-Semitism today. So I think that when we think about what you know what I'm trying to do to educate people. Um, I don't want it to be just Jewish people talking to Jewish people. We have to talk to everybody because we have to educate and learn from each other. So that's what I think about when I think about a lot of these things. Well, and I'm thinking uh, you brought to mind a figure like uh, Rabbi Abraham Joshua Heschel, right, who clearly, I mean, explicitly talked about Dr. Martin Luther King as, you know, any proof that you might need that prophecy is still alive and you know, he's coming at this again from from a from a, a more reformed tradition. So you don't have to read that in any kind of literalistic sense, but that we're to hear this voice uh, in, in from MLK that calls to all 
uh, folks, That's and that it's a it's a shared responsibility. Well, he um, he was at the 1963 march, yeah. and also it's a moral imperative for Jewish people to do these things, to go to these marches, to go to to help voting rights, uh, like uh, Goodman Schroeder and Cheney, which was the song written by Tom Paxton, by the way. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. you know we know about these figures, we know about these people, both yeah. Jewish and African Americans, who did what they could for voting rights, and you know for everybody. We have to think that when we do one for for others, we do for ourselves. Thank yeah. you so much, Mark. I appreciate it, both Mark and Sheila <laughs> and Nikki and Sheila and Cheryl. Yeah. yeah, thank you, Cheryl. Any thoughts before we call for another participant? Um, just that I I, I agree with what you know Lynn Lynn is saying that um. On some levels, this is complex, um, but there is a simplicity to it also because, mm. you know, we're figuring out what that what that good is, what what's the what's the what's the common good that we're working towards, um, and and that's that's something for sure. Well, in that spirit, let's take our next speaker presenter. Uh, oh Sheila. my goodness, you've got several. Actually, well, let's got do a it. Few. So I, well, I believe this phone number is Pam Shaw. Aha. So area code 215 ending in 759. <laughs> you know, I've got to come up with a better way to hide. <laughs> you can't hide from me, Pam. You cannot you hide from me. You, well, hello, Mark and team. And wow, what a great day. And what a very interesting topic in a way of um, handling it. I am really quite fascinated by it. And I commend Anthony and Mark and Cheryl and Sheila and every Nikki, everybody else who's so involved. One of the things for me has been to work hard and to be intentional so that I don't hijack the narrative that is truly Reverend Dr. King's and make it into something fits me and allows me to feel comfortable when in reality I'm being dishonest or I'm not being true to the legacy. So the one thing I'm doing this year is I'm reading all 11 books in the Legacy of Dr. King series. So I figure since there's, you know, 11 books in 12 months, I should be finished by the end of the year. Because one thing that I watched myself do that I'm really working on is bypassing the core of what really compelled Dr. King relative to issues of racial um, injustice and poverty. And I was surprised that I often will say, along with a lot of other people, Dr. Martin Luther King. But he was actually Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King. So his core comes from a place of high spirituality. And so when I was looking at a couple of weeks ago what I would be doing in celebration of his legacy in my community, they want people to pick up trash and paint buildings. And, do, and I don't necessarily think that those things are wrong, but I had to wonder in myself, is that who really Reverend Dr. King is and what does his legacy uh, really mean to me. And so I'm much more comfortable with understanding that a lot of what mine has to do with is risk. Because some things that I can do, they're not that risky. I, I'm not going to get but in so much trouble. But there are other things that come up where I must be so passionate about it that I'm courageous 
I'm not afraid that if taking that act of civil disobedience means I go to jail or I lose friends or whatever else it would have been at a time, my job. When we were in D.C., I went down to the South African um, embassy. Mark, you remember that when you would go down oh, yeah. and cross the line? I could not get the police to arrest me because I was blind. <laughs> they wouldn't take me to jail. Okay. Mm -hmm. And by the way, I checked my own background to make sure there was nothing pending because I yeah. didn't want to go to jail. You know, and and what am I really doing? Not too many remember, traffic tickets, no traffic. Yeah, tickets. really. Yeah. <laughs> Drunk driving. Anyway, yeah. and I do remember, even when in ACB, we, we when we went, we were in San Francisco and we did the demonstration. Yeah. Over, remember the um, situation with the um, subways and the metro lines. Yeah. It was risky business to leave that hotel and go downtown and demonstrate in front of a building where basically they said it wasn't true. We were violating, you know, the right of way. No, yeah, so I have to challenge myself to be, I want to be true to the narrative and being true to the narrative lets me be true to myself. Thanks for letting me share. Well, now, now don't disappear now because I have a question <laughs> for you. So my question for you is this. So, and, and I mean this in all the right ways you would want me to mean it. Uh, you, you are a happy and fierce warrior, very confident person. Uh, you have that outgoing personality. Sometimes I wonder with those among us who are, you know, particularly outgoing um, and, and, you know, use your favorite adjective there, may have, may be, or maybe are perceived to have an easier time speaking up, standing up, and, so I'd be interested in any thoughts you have on debunking that notion, but also what advice uh, might you uh, be so bold as to offer to those among us who perhaps are uh, a quieter soul, you know, uh, softer, if I can put it that way. Uh, because sometimes I wonder, right, these are clearly people who are introverts and quiet. Uh, they have convictions too, and they understand right from wrong, and they had, I, but they may not have a disposition so anyway, reflect on all that, if you don't mind. Okay, great. Great question. Let me debunk a couple of things very, very quickly. Number one, I am an extremely nervous speaker, okay? And it shows up in my stomach, and I had bad dreams the night before I'm going to speak, like I got there late and the place was empty, okay? So I do have that. And also, on all the personality tests that we take, I show up as an introvert. Mm. which is, I think, a more is, is accurate. I really do. Mm. But I think that what begins to happen, and this is where I think the passion comes in, because it's the passion that starts to override that. Now, what I have found helpful are several things. Number one, I have to be intentional. This does not happen by accident, yeah. and it doesn't happen without some steps. So it's a choice. The second thing. You got it. Yeah. And the second thing that I find that's very helpful is I surround myself with people, with all kinds of people, with, with people who are doing what I'm talking about here, but who, but I also have many people who I respect and love and even in history who mm. did what they did in their own quiet way, yet it still counted. Mm. So while the speaking up is important, I don't want us to ever get to the point where we say, well, just because I can't or I don't like it or I don't feel good when I try to do it, that we do nothing. And I yeah. think that's kind of what helps me. Yeah, that's good. 
Great. Thanks so much, Pam. And uh, Cheryl. Yep. Yep. Cheryl, uh, thoughts, comments, reflections. Oh, I mean, I think Pam is completely correct in the sense that um, we can't allow sort of our, I don't know, sort of dispositions to get, because um, mm -hmm. as you can tell, I've got a quiet voice. <laughs> I am not, I am not an extrovert, um, but there are things that I care a lot about mm -hmm. and I care enough that I'm always willing to raise my hand and to say like, Hey, if, if somebody else isn't willing to do this, I, I will take it on. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, so um, I, I agree that. Uh, and, and I think also Pam's concept around risk. Yeah. You know, again, that's something that, that, I mean, you know, they're, they're big risks. Like we can all acknowledge, you know, like if you're going to go out and protest um, that you, you do run the risk of being arrested. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. But there are other sort of risks that might be smaller and quieter, you know? I mean, yeah. you know, maybe you're the person in your neighbor who puts up the Black Lives Matter sign and mm. suddenly the neighbors aren't so keen on talking to you anymore. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. So, for sure. So I, I don't Mark, want I wonder to... if I can ask Pam a question. Uh, if she's still connected up, sure. Let's she's do it. Here. Pam, you you spoke about here. you spoke about you know choosing people to be around, and I wonder if you could you could speak for a moment when you don't really have the choice of people that you have to be around and how you immerse <laughs> or keep your immerse into that setting or keep yourself in your own convictions while interacting in those kind of settings. Yeah, that, that's a great question. And I think that's why there are two processes that sort of have to go on at once. And one is the things you do externally and the things that you do internally. Because there are always those moments when, okay, an example might be you might be in a work setting. And even though you work, there are a lot of things that are going, you know, just directly opposite to who and what you are. But then there's that internal clock or internal, what we call it, internal compass that has to guide you. And that's why I think you have to be intentional about how you put that there. What do you read? You know, are you a person who uses things like prayer and meditation and other techniques to keep you on course? Because I believe that you cannot depend 100% on external to keep you straight. You, you know, yeah. because external changes, at least in my world, and yeah. I'm in different environments at different times, but that doesn't change who I am. So an example is for me as an African-American, I am always reminded that my history, the history of my people did not begin on a slave ship. So I need to stop acting like a slave. And so that's where that internal compass, I think, goes in. Hope that helps, Anthony. Absolutely. Thank you. That's great. And uh, reflecting on this notion of risk, I read somewhere that you know you cannot talk about courage without talking about fear. They go hand in hand. I mean, if if you're facing something that is not that that might not in fact actually inspire a certain degree, if not in fact a significant degree of fear, 
uh, confronting it cannot be called courageous. Um, what's what's what what level of courage does it take to you know uh, pick up a teddy bear? Uh, you've you've got to recognize on some levels that any kind of act of courage. It's not that it's based on fear, but it is, it's in recognition of, or to appreciate it, uh, that level of risk has to be assumed and the willingness to, at some point, tackle it or uh, be sacrificed to the cause of moving that. And that, for me, is the, the, the single most significant challenge out of hearing a, a message like Dr. King's today is... I mean, good grief, who wants to sacrifice? Um, not, not very many of us are willing to do that. And yet it seems like uh, there are plenty who have been called to do that um, over the course of time. Um, great, uh, uh, next one, uh, Sheila, please. Sandra. Hello, good afternoon, you all. Hi. Hey there. Hey. <laughs> um, like echoing Pam, just um, thanking everybody, um, Mark, Cheryl, Anthony, all of you guys, Sheila. Um, I really am getting a great deal out of what, out of our discussion today. And I would just like to add that I feel like um, it's a social contract, but it's also a moral contract. Um, and for me, um, you know, unfortunately, I, I may or may not always rise to the occasion, but I have to be intentional. And, and it doesn't even, the circumstance doesn't matter. But when my inner being, when my inner conscience says, no, this is too much, um, it's, it's about letting understanding the risk and understanding that the risk is real but still doing it because it is the right thing to do i am in the position that i'm in for a reason i and therefore you know if if i don't who will um it may be a situation where right right time wrong time whatever but I have the ability to at least raise my voice in protest, articulate, okay, this isn't right. Um, I have to let go of the outcome in order to ensure that I say or do what my moral com compass is telling me to do. That is a really, but really I brilliant thing you just said there. That's brilliant. <laughs> No, I'm I'm I, I'm not flattering you. I I mean that's you're you're in a, you're you're in agreement with MLK for sure on that point. I mean it's you don't pay attention to am I going to win? You stand up because it's what you got to do. Because it is the right thing to do. And and there have been throughout my life there have been times when I have spoken up at great risk, not physical, but other ways because risk mm. comes in many different ways. Um, you know, you can lose jobs, friends, what have you, yep. yeah. uh, a place to live, house, condo. Um, and yet still, um, there's, there's a point beyond which I will not go. I am not selling my soul for anyone or yeah. any, and, and when the idea that I have to 
be quiet. I have to be suppressed. My moral compass goes haywire. No, 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 no. Um, You know, I, I understand go along to get along. I have had to make certain compromises, but you know what? Um, still, I have a moral compass. I have, uh, you know, outside influences, inside influences, but some there are just some times in life where whether anybody else speaks up or not, um, I have to say something. Well, let me ask you about that. And I would love to hear um, not only your reaction to this, but uh, Cheryl, yours as well. Uh, Some of us, I am now staring into the mirror of conscience here. Uh, Some of us have strong personalities. Some of us have very strong feelings about stuff. And it's one thing to talk about taking a stand because you know what's right or you believe it's right. And then sometimes some people are just gosh darn pigheaded. Um, how, what, what would your sense be on how us individually, how do we assess uh, whether we are in fact standing up for what is truly right uh, or if, if we were really truly being honest with ourselves, it was really all about ego. How do we, how do we sort that out? Um, for me, it is what if, if I say this or do this, what is it that I'm getting? Am I getting anything? Mm. Is it to my benefit? Mm. Now, sometimes it's to my benefit and, and it, it's helpful, to, but it's, it's an ongoing inner search to make sure that my motives are pure. And the, que- the first question I ask myself, um, am I gaining anything? And if I the know. answer is no, then usually I'm full speed ahead because I know I'm not doing it for my own gain. Yeah, right on. That, yeah, that's interesting. Cheryl, what are your thoughts? Um. Yeah, I want to circle back to something that was said a little earlier before yeah. talking about this. Go ahead. Um, uh, this issue, because, uh, you know, I, so as you probably all know, you know, I came here as an immigrant to the United States and I'm a Black person. And so I identify as African American. Um, and I think one of the things that I have always found heartening and that has held me up when I've been in really sort of like difficult situations and been ready to give up um, is what I've learned about the way African-Americans have survived over years in the United States. And by that, I mean, you know, yes, people were forced to live like very constricted lives because of laws and and sort of practice you know they couldn't move here they couldn't do this and people couldn't go to school couldn't do lots of things and but yet at the same time as you read african-american history people led like really rich lives Mm. um you know somebody who might be a maid could be a leader in their church Exactly. Somebody who, you know, had to bow down and was uh, forced to be a maintenance person could be a pastor. And um, so for me, 
that has always, as I said, been sort of a, a image to remember that the world may want to force you into a box, right? Uh, and, assign and, you a new name. Assign right. you a new name. So they're 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 saying no, you've got to do this. And they may throw laws at you, they may throw social practice, they may do lots of things to push you into that space, but you don't have to let that be the end of who you are. Um, because again, as I said, African Americans in their in many ways said no to what the American sort of structure was trying to do to them. Um, mm -hmm. and, and for me, that has always been as I said, uh, something I've I've always held on to, um, because I I've been in some difficult situations, and I've I've needed something that is beyond sort of my own internal compass to be able to you know get up in the morning and to put <laughs> one foot in front of the other foot. Yeah. Um, so. That's really helpful. Great. Uh, let me just check in with Nikki in case we do have some clubhouse folk. No. Yes. No clubhouse right now. Okay, just checking. Ms. Sheila, back to you. Mary. Okay, thank you. And um, hi, Mark. Hi, Cheryl. Thank you for, hey. for having this discussion. So just, I just kind of wanted to reflect a little bit on how I was feeling as I was listening to the sermon That's and thinking about Dr. King. Um, so, you know, everything he spoke about and everything he was calling on the community to go out and do obviously everything he was doing himself and no one was at more risk than Dr. King. Mm. And uh, obviously that was proven because a few months later from the sermon, he's yeah. assassinated. Um, so I could certainly, you know, listen to the sermon and be inspired by this man because he was, living everything he spoke about it wasn't just talking the talk it was very much walking the walk and, yeah. and living everything he spoke about whereas and you know somebody else might say the same words who you don't know what their background is or what they're doing and it wouldn't mean as much because maybe it's just words so i mean dr king was you know a powerful orator writer and he had you know, he had the, you know, the, the right, shall I say, to be able to get up and speak like this and to, you know, in, encourage and to um, inspire, you know, anyone who was listening to him to go out and put their lives on the line because he was, he was doing it. But, you know, he, he was in a special position because he was a special man. Not everybody could say what he said. And have and have the right to say it as well, mm. because they weren't, you know, putting the their their life on the line like he mm -hmm. he did every day. So it's just another example of just how really unique Dr. King was. Certainly not the only, obviously, leader in the civil rights movement who sure. was at risk and and ultimately assassinated. Mm. But he was obviously, you know, the most visible and most well-known and, and took, took so much risk. So um, that's really, for me, what always stays with me when I think of Dr. King is, yeah. is it, it, that's his legacy for me. 
So yeah, that's not very nice. Thanks so much, Mary. Appreciate it. Mm -hmm. uh, um, Sheila, next. <laughs> Debbie Grubb. Hello, everybody. And I just am so thrilled with this entire conversation. And I have a word to say to people who are feeling overwhelmed, like they don't know where to start. They're not up to the level of these brilliant people who have give, will have given, and will continue to give so much. A place to start is to recognize our common humanity and to reach out in friendship to someone who is of a different race, a different religion, to meet people as human beings, because that's what we all are. And it's a place to start. I really believe that <clears throat> that, that is just so important because all of us have so much in common. And yes, there's a lot to still be angry about, but we have to remember in this country too, that there is a lot to celebrate, that Dr. Martin Luther King started something that is continuing from, from, from that moment through right now, a movement that is growing, people that are standing up and being counted, and people of all races and religions who are working together because of that. Is it perfect? No. Have we reached where we want to be for all of us? No. But we have made a start, and we are moving forward. And yes, there are people of unconscionable I don't even know what to say about them, who would push us back, who would keep us from getting where we're going. But it's about human beings, sometimes two at a time, taking hands, hands of a different color, hands from two different countries. And so don't, don't feel that there's nothing I can say and there's nothing I can do. And I just, I don't, I don't, I know this is right, but I don't know where I fit into it because all of us who are blind have been put into boxes. I think Cheryl would be the first to agree with that. I remember when I was talking to my guidance counselor about going to college and what I wanted to do. And um, I was kind of poo-pooed from what I wanted to do, but I went ahead and did it anyway, because that's just who I am. But I just want to say to everybody who doesn't know where you fit in and feels unworthy and that just, just reach out to someone and, and make a friendship. It's a start. It's a beginning to recognize your common humanity. I will tell one final little anecdote and then I will be gone. Um, at the church I went to, there was this beautiful little girl. And for some reason, she really fell in love with me. And so I met her mom and I would talk to her and play with her and hug her. And her mom said, can I, can we come see you? And I said, oh, I would love that. And she had two other little girls and they were just absolutely adorable. And one day in church, somebody said, aren't they the most lovely black family? And I said, oh, because I didn't know. But you know what was a triumph for me? And I share it with all of you because recognizing common humanity is the important thing. It didn't make me love them any less. It didn't make them me care about. It was just, oh, like another thing I learned. And so while we revel in diversity and uniqueness, and we should, we have to start 
with what we have in common. And we have to reach out to one little girl or one person in love, one warm hand to another. And so for those of you who are feeling, whether listening to the podcast later or this call now, like you don't know what to do or where you fit in, just find one warm hand that is different from yours and hold yours out. And then it begins. And then you join the march and you do what it is you do to continue this legacy that is continued in this country now for decades, albeit unfinished. And thank you for letting me have the floor. Thanks so much, Debbie. Um, Cheryl, I'll invite you to reflect if you care to, but um, just a quick check-in, Sheila. How many hands are raised or you just know, one. folks cute? Okay, right uh, so fire away, Cheryl, if you care to. Otherwise, we'll move on. I think, um, I, you know, I agree with, with Debbie in the sense that um, breaking, the, if somebody, if somebody's sort of confused or overwhelmed, and, and, and also, I mean, if, you know, friendship isn't the, the thing that's doable for you, I mean, I think, you know, find an organization. Uh, we've got our um, Blind Pride um, so, you know, our women's group, I mean, find, uh, something, reach out, Mark, Great. I, I have to apologize, but I'm probably going to have to leave. No in worries. A few minutes. But, All right. Um, this well, has been, this has been just an amazing, uh, conversation and yeah. I just, you know, appreciated talking who's spoken. Well, it's a pleasure, and uh, and you and I have not had a chance to ever do something quite like this before, and uh, it's a real pleasure for me. So awesome! Thanks so much for participating. Right, really appreciate so it. All yeah. Right. All right, Miss Sheila. Next, Anthony. Anthony. Oh my goodness! You never know who <laughs> might. Well, I yeah, but I guess I got to talk a lot on this show anyway. <laughs> um, you know, I was reflecting as, as everybody was speaking, and, and we've had some really powerful um, conversation um, within this structured conversation. And I, I read something um, months ago in, in preparation for the program that we're doing with, with Debbie Grubb, um, which Bayard Rustin was the last. Um, and we have one final one on Allies coming up in February. But um there was a, a rally, a speech um, that Dr. King gave, and afterwards he started folding up chairs and picking up garbage and, and you know, got into, quote unquote, the fray of cleanup with everyone. And someone, you know, remarked to him, well, Dr. King, you know, why are you folding chairs? You know, you're, you're I, and I'm, I'm paraphrasing, but basically the star of the show, you know, why are you? And, you know, his response was, well, A, somebody's got to do it, and B, you know, I need to leave a clean room for the next speaker. And it makes me think, you know, we, we often hear um, within our community, oh, that's not blindness related or, or you know, that's not a blind issue. And hearkening back to, to kind of what Debbie was speaking about and, and Sandra and Pam all in their, own, in their own ways, if we don't look at human conditions, issues, problems, you know, feelings, et cetera, then what's the point of looking at blindness issues? What's the point of looking at LGBTQ issues or racial issues? It, you know, if we can't find the commonality, you know, almost hearkening back to, you know, prick us, do we not bleed? You know, if we don't have that baseline to, to, uh, of understanding and of compassion and of, 
you know, willingness, whether we understand or not, if that baseline doesn't exist, then there are no other issues. Because ultimately, it all back to, you know, are our human conscious, are our human needs, are our human, um, you know, paths in, you know, on this planet, are they being fulfilled the right way? So just kind of want to remark on that. I, I, I think Dr. King led in, in, in just every single, every breath he took, it almost seems like a moment of leading. And in those quiet moments of leadership, sometimes they're the most powerful. Yeah, of course, I'm going to get off stage and fold up chairs because that's part of the work, too. I don't get to make my speech on that stage unless someone puts these chairs out, unless someone, you know, cleans up afterwards. So if I'm going to take the stage, I'm going to fold the chair. Well, and I love your idea about, you know, gosh, so many people trying to essentially censor or shut down a conversation where both say this is not a blindness issue. And yet if blind people have something to say about it, it seems to me it's a blindness issue. Uh, I, I don't care if on its, you know, you look at the text of it and it sounds like, uh, you know, a, an issue that otherwise isn't, you know, per se blindness related. I don't, I mean, it's, it's just, that's another dismissive strategy to essentially try to silence people who are blind or visually impaired to say, look, unless you're talking about something wrong with eyeballs or policies or issues related to that, you know, go someplace else. And instead of saying, Perhaps people who are blind and visually impaired have a perspective we ought to listen to and learn from, including other blind people who ought to hear what blind folks have to say about things that, frankly, maybe some blind folks don't want to talk about. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Cheryl, uh, uh, Sheila, any other hands? <laughs> Not One of those SH names. An SH name. I know. Nikki, is anybody in Clubhouse? <laughs> Well, I think you're doing a great job so far, Mark. Um, I so wonder... far, I have 20 minutes left. <laughs> <laughs> you have a hand raised now. Excellent. See, Margie? Yes. Yay. Took me a while to get that done, but I did it. <laughs> Good job. You were persistent. Good job. Well, I, I'm operating with just one hand this week. <laughs> oh, boy. Um, yeah, it's fun. Um, anyway... I just want to speak up and say someone I've always admired is Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King. I, I have in many opportunities in my life tried to model my life after what he preaches and what I take away from most of it is jumping in, doing the work, taking a stand, whether it's speaking up or whether it's just standing there. But standing up for what I believe in. And there are times, um, I'll just give a quick example. In my former HOA, I had to take a really big stand. And let me tell you, I felt, and I, I didn't walk in Dr. King's shoes. I don't know what he felt like, but I felt like I felt like what he felt like. I sat in on, on H, this was, I was on the board. They didn't want to provide me with emails. Um, of the board packets. They recalled me from the board when I um, requested um, email packets. And then they had a town hall meeting, which I was not invited to, but I found out about it. And I went and I sat in a room where everybody was degrading me. And I sat there and I sat tall and I knew I was moving forward and my neighbors hated me. But you know what? 
got an attorney, and I'm happy to say we settled. Um, had an incredible attorney, per Patricia Barbosa, and after a couple depositions, we settled. And, and I hate to say this, but the smile on my face was when they had to write a one-paragraph newsletter to the community that said, we are required by law to um, reasonably accommodate all blind and visually impaired homeowners. And that's probably as close in my life that I will ever understand what Dr. King went through. But I've always said, whatever we believe in, we must be willing to take a stand and we must be willing, go to the extent, honestly, of the potential of being killed. There wasn't very many days that I walked in and out of that community that I didn't have some sense of fear. fear sorry. There, uh, they went to the extent of spreading poop in, in the alleyway with glass in it to try to harm my dog. I mean, it was awful. But you know what? I stood for what I believed in. And in the end, I won. And um, there are times where it's appropriate to take a stand that's a very quiet stand. And for me, that often looks like standing and holding hands with my LGBTQ plus community. It means standing and holding hands with people of different races. I don't understand everything. I never will understand everything about every other culture, but standing up with them is often what matters. And um, I just have always admired Reverend King and I just love his speech and I've been blessed to go to the Lorraine Hotel, and I got to meet Fred Shuttlesworth there, and um, oh, wow. that was a yeah, it was a pretty incredible experience. And um, I'll just say one more thing about that, which which I, I think is really a, a very interesting situation. Um, for those that haven't been there, there's two buildings. There's a main building, then a secondary building across the street. Well, we went across the street, and there was a gentleman who was operating. Um, uh, opera, I guess operating the elevator. I don't know what his job was. He is by the elevator. He's African-American. And um, he stopped and he asked if he can pray for me. Yeah. And I said, what do you want to pray for me? He goes, I want to pray for you to get your sight back. Oh. And I smiled and I said, would it be okay for you if I asked you to pray for you to be white? And he got it. He actually got it. Then I, I followed up by saying, I have a great life. God made me this way for a reason. And I'm living a quality life. But thank you. And if you want to pray for me for something else, I welcome it. And I allowed him to pray for me, but the blindness was not part of it. And that's so for me, at, you know, some may disagree, but that was a beautiful stand that I took and it educated him. And so we all we all know that people want to pray for us to get our sight back as if we're broken or something's wrong. And for those that want it, that's perfectly fine. That is, I don't have a problem with it. It doesn't work for me. And I will continue to take stands in my life and always look at Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King as my mentor in life, as my role model in life. And a lot of times I miss the mark, but at least I give it my best. Thank you.
Well, let me ask you uh, before you go. Um, so often we hear uh, people who want to put us in our place or think they know better. Um, you know, you got to learn how to pick your battles. And, mm -hmm. and, and, and honestly, as somebody who, you know, we all have these experiences personally, but for sure in the professional context, policy-wise, you know, is it, uh, you know, we know all the platitudes, keep your powder dry, fight, live to fight another day. I mean, all of these kinds of things that we tell ourselves, and frankly, sometimes it is uh, a good thing to do, right? The strategic retreat that you often have to do in, in, in warfare, and that's a hard thing to do. But I would be interested in, I mean, you're a fierce advocate, talk, talk, reflect a little bit about how one goes about choosing one's battles and um, you know, how, you, how you, what criteria do you use as you assess yourself or think about it, reflect on it? How well are we doing in choosing our battles? Well, for me personally, it's things I am passionate about. And it's things that I know that will make a bigger difference in this world than just for Margie Donovan. Um, I love that. There's, there's a lot of battles I choose not to fight. Um, but I, it's really the passion. And whether it's for me or for someone else, another cause, it, it's, it, the passion has to be there. And I say that within ACB, it's one thing to sit on the floor and vote on a resolution, but usually the people that write the resolutions, the authors of resolutions are passionate about that. And um, I think, I, 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 so the, my two criteria is passion and is it just for me or will this make a huge impact for other people? potentially and 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 in some situations obviously definitely and and one of those examples for me that I took a relatively quiet stand um I didn't stand up and and shout out at a convention or anything like that was the mental health work group and you know I took a quiet stand and we worked forward on it and we were firm about what we wanted to do and it's in place. And I didn't have to go pass a resolution. I didn't have to go speak on a resolution. I didn't have to go scream. I didn't have to go around and speak about how awful people were because they didn't want this. And you know what? Um, we now know how much this is needed. People are coming out of the work group. Um, that's one of my passions. And that's one of my passions because of my own experience with substance abuse, um, alcohol to be specific. Um, and I know there's many, many other types of mental health issues. So this has a big play in ACB. And one of the things I like that you said, Mark, if, how, how can you, I'm gonna use you because I'm gonna pick on you, Mark. How can, if I bring up a topic that's impacting me, how can you say that's not a blindness topic? Yeah. How can you say that, you know? Um, and, and I remember this back when Paul was president and um, can I remember the former name, BPI came in to, to play and what went on on the floor that day. 
-hmm. And what was beautiful, though, and some people hold anger, but what was beautiful is those that passionately spoke against it due to their belief that it was against Christianity. And I, I don't happen to agree with it, but we have to respect those who also don't believe um, our way. And I don't think you fight them, you, you honor them, you believe in them, and you hear their point too. And ultimately, in anything, the majority wins, you know. Um, I unfortunately didn't get to go to San Francisco and, and, and as Pam did and protest in front of DOT because I was at the convention on federal work time and I didn't wanna lose my job. So, and, and since that time, funny enough, I said, I will never go to a convention on federal work time again, because if I need to protest, I want to protest, you know, but I supported everybody that went and I was behind that cause. I just physically could not be there. Mm -hmm. Well, I, I have one last question for you before you go and in, in, in the spirit of mutual picking on, uh, but I, this is very friendly, <laughs> but, I, but I think it's, I, you're, you're, you're a uniquely uh, fun person to ask uh, this of. So we've talked earlier today about uh, the idols in our lives and personally in our world, community, et cetera. Do you have any thoughts for all of us to consider about idols we may have in our consumer organization, in our community generally that perhaps we ought to think about? And what, what, are, we, what are we providing, what are we worshiping that we ought to be thinking about or rethinking um, and not uh, committing to it. I'll make this very practical, not to pick on the NFB, but to frankly reflect on our our history. Quite frankly, the American Council of the Blind uh, it was born in at a time when uh, there were individuals who were in power in the consumer movement who weren't prepared to share it, and uh, there, in in a, in, a, in a certain real sense, some folks had sort of made idols of those people. Um, and our community said, we will not be silenced. We want to see a more democratic approach to leadership. So that's, that's the kind of vein I'm thinking about here. But do you, do you have any thoughts for us on idols we may be making in our consumer group or in our community generally that we ought to be thinking about? I'm not sure that I believe in idols. Um, I, I actually don't believe in idols. I believe in role models. I believe in finding people that we we respect and um, and watching them and growing from them. But we can watch a lot of people and grow from them. We have mentors. I like mentors versus idols. Idols to me could have a negative connotation. You know, people follow idols and and kill people because that's what their idols do. And so to me, it has a negative connotation. I much prefer role models. And I've had many role models throughout my years in ACB walking in as a undergrad student, or what, yeah, mm -hmm. undergrad student, and all the way up to being a senior now. <laughs> yeah, well, let me, let me try this with you, maybe using a different phrasing of that. Do you think there are topics or uh, issues or practices that we have decided we are that that we are so committed to that sometimes that commitment uh, to, it gets in the way of deeper, more you know core values, reflective things that we ought to be in in that sense making 
a golden image out of something that frankly doesn't deserve to have that role or mm, get in the way. Mm, mm. Um, I think we need to be open. I think we need to listen to our members. Um, I'm not going to pick on any particular situation or one person or, or one group mm. of people. Mm. I, I think our leadership needs to be open. I think our membership needs to be open. I think we need to think beyond our own convenience. So I'm, I'm going to give an example. I'm, and please don't mute me real quickly here. I'm going to give an example. We passed a resolution last year that for people who are blind, I don't think we thought outside of the box. And that was to have our things in our bathrooms labeled in Braille. And that will have a lasting effect on hotels we can get. It's an extra cost for hotels. And let's never forget that will be passed on to us. And I think many people fail to think outside of themselves and the effect that things we do have on others. Um, it's, and and I'm, I'm a Braille user, but I also know how to use the um, Bellman and sort out which is which, um, not to mention we have Ira, we have, we have Be My Eyes, um, and you can always ask housekeeping. So I think when we think of things we're going to take on, we need to think of the the cause and effect of it, even though it makes it really convenient for us right now. And, you know, a, a lot of people don't travel and some of us travel a lot. So, you know, we're going to hotels where things aren't brailed all the time and we just get to figure it out and we come up with our own adaptive techniques to figure it out. Some of us bring our own darn toiletries, you know? Um, so I think we, we as an organization, when we make decisions, and, and this goes for the board, it goes for the whole leadership, committee chairs, you know, presidents um, of special interest affiliates, we need to look at the larger impact in our organization and in society. Um, um, and we deal with a lot of different issues in this organization. And I don't know, honestly, how we go about educating everyone because you get a glimpse of the issue and you get a vote and that vote could damage us in the long run or, or, or cause harm to us I, I wouldn't say permanently damage but certainly cause harm to us in the long run um we you know yes we'd all like to live in an ideal world but our ideal world is made by each one of us one day at a time not just in an ACB or an affiliate convention. I do a lot in my community um, for advocacy, for APSs, for, you know, back then for POSs and build relationships. So we don't have to wait. It, we as individuals can take on things that will better our communities for better for other blind people. I've done a lot in my community around audio description. We have six theaters on board now. When I moved here 14 years ago, we had none. We have the only arena that offers audio description. Um, so when I take on something and going back to ACB, it's not just us as an organization, it's us as individuals. Let's not, and I'll, I'll shut up with this, but let's not wait for ACB to do it. 
let's not wait for Margie Donovan to do it. If it's an issue for you, if you're having problems with paratransit, document, 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 file your complaints. Don't just wait for Margie Donovan, because I'll tell you one thing. When I complain, the squeaky wheel gets to grease. So I get better service. And nobody likes it. But you all can be, we all can be doing the same thing. And we all should be doing the same thing. Even if it means reaching out and go, how do you do it? I've offered my service many times. How do you do it? And I'm willing to help people with the things I know. Um, frequently, I know who to reach out to for the help that I need. Mm. And sometimes I don't. So I'll put it out there and ask questions. Yep, that's great. Thanks, Margie. Really appreciate your 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 comments. And you can bug me anytime, my friend. You you can pick I, I on do me anytime. When I need to. I, I, yes, well, I bug you, you when go. I need answers to things. So thank you. Go. Very good. Great show, good to, Mark. Good to hear Great your voice. Show. Okay. Thank you for okay. doing it. Thanks. Yep. Mark, so you have ten minutes, and you have two yeah. hands. So. Yes, for sure. So well, let's take those two in about uh, two fifty-five. Let's kind of put a stop to All this right. and well, uh, Tanya take inventory. Tanya, unmute. Okay, you know, um, I really uh, had to say, Margie, she really said it all. And, you know, me, I, you know, I grew up in, in New York all my life. And as visually impaired, I, I got totally made fun of and all sorts of nonsense. I mean, judging by the color of my skin, because I'm African-American. But, you know, the, the thing is, when I listen to none other than Martin Luther King, he inspired me. And it was like, there was something that I felt in, in me and realized that I could really, you know, do better for me instead of, you know, worrying about what other people is saying about me or talking about me or whatever. I just really wanted to just Say, I'm glad I'm part of the ACB community. I'm glad of that. And I don't think a lot of all the rest of some of us don't need to be dealing with so much of the negative nonsense, you know, especially <laughs> me. I don't like to live with that neither because that is so totally, you know, ignorant, a lot of people. And me, I just feel like, yeah, I want to get away. I want to you know, like move away from those kind of type of people. But yeah. I got to tell you, that man will always be my inspiration. And, you know, next month is Black History Month. I always celebrate that month. I always celebrate yeah. my history of what my ancestors have been through. And I got to tell you, I learned so much from those that who really you know, explain everything about what my history is. Yeah. You know, well, and, and having that context is super, super important, right? To yes, be, it is. Yes, to have that is. heritage, you know, and to feel yes, like have a sense of, of belonging, you know? Yes. And Mark, I'm glad you're here because I got to tell you, I hope you come back one day and do this again because yep. it's so amazing. Oh, that's free. And that's thank nice you. Thank you so much for um, having me. Thank you. No, we're glad that, that you're here and also in ACB. Couldn't, couldn't literally do it without you. Let's check with Nikki and see. Nikki, yep. last check in Clubhouse. 
And then Thank we have much. one more in Zoom. Nikki? Uh, we may have. Okay, well then we're just gonna go to the last hand Let's in do it. Zoom, which is Pam Shaw. Pam? Um, I'm unmuted, thank you. Yes. I just wanted to, uh, Mark, close out with a um, quote that I have from um, Reverend Dr. King, which is really helping me, and it summarizes what I got out of today's program. And it says, use me, God, show me how to take who I am, who I want to be, and what I can do, and use it for a purpose greater than myself. So thank you for a moment to just share that quote. That's lovely. Thank you very much. Uh, so Sheila and Bryn and, and Anthony, we got five <laughs> minutes left. You may have some stuff you want to share in terms of wrap up, but as I toss it back over to you all, I'd love to hear any of your thoughts. I wonder, I'm, I'm winking, especially at Bryn, if, if, um, if Bryn, you have anything you'd like to add too, but over to all of you. Well, uh, this is Bryn. Um, yeah, you know, uh, Martin Luther King Jr. Uh, did not just stand up for the rights of uh, African Americans, but he also stood for the rights of many, many walks of lives. And um, it's important for all of us to remember the importance of uh, tomorrow's holiday. And it's not just another day off. It's not just another day to, um, you know, binge watch something on Netflix. It's something <laughs> that, you know, we need to have remembrance and, um, you know, just, just, Remember what this holiday is all about and what he stood for. Lovely. Um, Sheila, any uh, thoughts you may have? I, well, I've got a lot of thoughts, but I'm not supposed to share. So I will, I will reserve my thoughts, but I will, oh, I, I will, I will just celebrate the fact that on February 8th, we are collaborating with the multicultural committee for a, um, kind of black history month recipe swap so i hope everybody will come it'll be a lot of fun oh wow yeah it'll be a lot of fun that sounds fun all right and, mr oh, corona I, over to you, know you me, my friend back to you but no you're, you're it's all you man it's all <laughs> yeah. you go for it Close so it first i will i will say that um sandra will be back on uh the first february the first sunday in february and we're gonna have another program for Black History, um, the Bayard Rustin will be um, premiering as a podcast that week as well on Pride Connection. You know, for the last couple of, of months, I've actually had to do a lot of research, both LGBTQ and um, on Bayard and, and various other civil rights leaders. And, you know, Cheryl brought up all of the beautiful pieces of history that she's um you know, encountered over her research as well. And I think, you know, you, we could use the word they. There's a, there's a certain they out there that don't want us to revel in that history, to celebrate that history, the positives, the beauty. And, you know, both from the LGBTQ perspective and from civil rights perspectives, there's so much of our stories that aren't told mainstream that aren't taught in mainstream yeah. schools that aren't out there, you know, and we have great artists, you know, writing great movies and books and, you know, singing amazing songs that celebrate those histories, but it's not enough. We have to go and seek it. 
we have to immerse ourselves in it as well to to truly encapsulate you know how beautiful the tapestry of of what our country really is if if we get past all the political noise um i think you did an incredible job um i also would like to echo i think you should come back and do a show not long from now on, on another great topic maybe the whole fear that's involved in advocacy and and how we overcome it and the difference between you know small good trouble and big good trouble yeah so I hope you'll consider coming back for some kind of conversation, but that's that would definitely be a great springboard. Well, yeah, and I mean, let's think about that, especially, I mean, we all have our our heroes. I mean, for me, I mean, look, I mean, MLK is off the charts, right? We understand that John Lewis, for me, has always had a special uh, place in my little heart only because I had the privilege of actually meeting him, shaking his hand on a couple of, when I worked at the American Foundation for the Blind, he was a champion for us and any number of uh, things very specific to AFB's bottom line, but also working on literacy and other issues. And, you know, to, to be able to sit, even if it's for five minutes across from somebody like that and realize, you know, my goodness, uh, I'm in the presence, sure, of greatness, but also of, of history and also of tremendous personal sacrifice. And that there really are live human beings uh, that we can know and touch and listen to, uh, yep. who embody exactly what what Martin Luther King was talking about in today's sermon. Who are prepared to give it all. And uh, so, I, anyway, it would be fun to to think about maybe exploring a topic like that and um, in the future. Count me in. Uh, and Mark, I just want to say week. this is Sheila, and I just want to say this has been an awesome two hours. So congratulations. Oh, thank you. Well, I again, I mean, it was so fun to bid on it and um you know giving me a microphone is like giving candy to a baby i'm sure <laughs> but yeah. but i but and, and since i also bid on an amazing set of cookies that uh you know kelly gasp made which are delicious i can tell you uh, I, I didn't eat any of those while i was on here but i you know i encourage people to participate in our auctions because you never know what kind of goodies uh, edible or audible uh that you can uh, that you can get uh at the uh, at the auction so awesome stuff yeah, and don't wait for an auction out there if you're out there listening and you have an idea or a topic, a conversation that, sure. you know, should, please, Sunday edition AC at Gmail. This is everyone's show. You know, my name might be on it and I'm not taking it off, so I'm not going to call it everybody's <laughs> show, but um, it is everybody's show. So, you know, just like announcements, if you have a topic or something, please bring it to us and, and um, take a seat in the hot seat like Mark did. Take a chance. Maybe that's, your entrance into the fray and um i will be back with another fabulous conversation next sunday sheila nikki Bryn, as always thank you so much for the support mark you did an incredible job and everybody else have a fabulous week you've been listening to sunday edition on acb media Stream One, that's American Council of the Blind Media, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Episodes drop every week at 1 p.m. on Sundays, and you can email us at Sunday Edition AC, all one word, Sunday Edition with the letters AC at gmail.com. Let's brunch again together next Sunday.